0: And so on my 30th birthday, I sat down with my board of directors and explained to them that we needed to file for bankruptcy, that the company had to shut down, we had to liquidate everything, and then we had to lay off all of our staff. Made for not a great 30th birthday. And then the following day or two days later was Christmas Eve, and I had to sit down with our entire staff and explain to them that they were all losing their jobs. One of my staff members wasn't there because he was in the hospital having his first baby. And I had to call him at the hospital and explain to him he didn't have a job. It was one of the hardest weeks of my life, painful, expensive, just terrible. But despite that, I actually felt good about everything that I had to do because I knew deep down it was right.
1: I used to think that mission statements and company values were things that big companies did to try to keep people on the same page as they grew. Nice to haves that you could invest in when you had the resources and time. But that was before I ever faced any sort of existential crisis as a leader when I had to lay off my friends, or I got sued, or watched revenue fall off a cliff. Those are moments when you have no good options. Everything looks bad. In those moments, The only thing that helped was remembering why we even started the company in the first place. What do we value? Why do we exist? And when there's nothing else to go on, that's what you walk toward. So now you're gonna hear a crazy story about this actually happening. The story is brought to you from Delcy Bean. is the founder and CEO of Paragus IT. He's gonna introduce himself and dive right into the story. Then we're gonna circle back, define some of the terms, and walk through how to do this for your company.
0: So my name is Delcy Bean. I am currently the CEO of an employee-owned company called Paragus Strategic IT, who provides outsourced IT services to small and medium-sized businesses in the Pioneer Valley, which is Western Massachusetts. I started this company technically as a high school student, but back then we were providing residential computer support to mostly elderly individuals and families helping them remove viruses and set up computers and install printers. and Then over the years, the company evolved to the company that it is today, uh, which is exclusively providing support for small businesses. And About three years ago, we became an employee-owned company where 40% of the company is now owned by the other employees who work here in addition to myself. The story I'm going to tell you is one that is a little bit unusual because the use of it actually resulted in an epic failure but a failure that I felt better about. And so what happened was when I was in my mid-20s, I had already started one company and had been very successful. Naively, I assumed anything I touched would turn to gold and I started another company. And at first, that company did very well. We signed a deal with an antivirus manufacturer from an Eastern European country and we started reselling their product in the United States. And this was a company that didn't have much of a presence in the United States on either the residential or the commercial side, but had a very good presence internationally. So I said, okay, here's a company who's got a good track record, a good product, a proven success pattern, but there's an opportunity to market them in the United States. And I think a lot of people, when they look back at these times, they will have realized there were these warning signals, these red flags that they chose to ignore. And I have to say, I chose to ignore a lot of red flags. And where it all started was I was in the country, the city where this company is founded. And I was attending a conference and working with their CEO and meeting their leadership team as we were about to sign this fairly significant deal. And I found out at that meeting, the CEO, the founder was stepping down and they had brought in a new CEO. And I did a little bit of research on the CEO's background, and I found out a little bit about where his story went and some of the products he's worked on. And there were red flags in his background that I should have really pushed harder on and chose to ignore. I was excited about the deal. I was excited about the opportunity. And so I chose to be blind to the risk. I then took that company and grew it over the course of two years and got it to a point where I felt like I was in a position where I could raise capital. So in order to do that, I pledged a million dollars of my own money and then went and raised a half a million dollars of other people's money and really pressed the gas pedal on that company. We hired a significant sales team. We launched several new products. We rebranded the entire company. We spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, as any entrepreneur has to spend to really start to build that company. Meanwhile, every step of the way, there was red flag after red flag. The company that we were partnering with, that we were distributing the products for, would go back on their promises, would tell us they were going to do something and then not do it. And I continued to ignore these because of the excitement for the deal. The fact that I now had a lot of money at risk. I mean, for me, back then, a million dollars was basically all the money. And the fact that I had a half a million dollars of other people's money was even more stressful Because the idea of losing people's money just was something that kept me up at night. So we continued on and we kept pushing. And then we started hearing these rumors. And one of my resellers called me one day and told me that they heard a rumor that this company was using the software to steal data from the computers it was running on, was then using that data and selling it and making money off the data that they were stealing using the product. I was obviously very concerned. And I think it would have been easy to dismiss that as a conspiracy theory, although when I heard it, it was not my first instinct. Because of all the red flags, because of the things that I knew, it made perfect sense. And at that time, I started to develop a real concern and fear that I had gotten in bed with the wrong business partner, so to speak. So at that time, I did have a board of directors because we did have other people's mind the company. I sat down on the board. I explained the situation. I explained the rumor. And the board's position was, this is a rumor. This is nothing we can act on. We should not jeopardize the business over one person's unjustified, unverified report. And on the one hand, I understood where the board was coming from. I appreciate their perspective, a lot of money at stake, uh, at least in that, you know, to us, it was a lot of money. And the company was still very small, very early stage. We didn't have a lot to gamble on. We shouldn't have a big legal department or legal budget. And so... I tentatively, at that moment, said, okay, I can appreciate that. And I went on. And then it kept gnawing at me, and it kept gnawing at me, and it kept gnawing at me. And finally, I went back to the board, and I said, I think this company is not the kind of company we want to be in business with. I don't feel good about this company. And we sat down, and we talked about what the mission of the company was and what the purpose of the company was. And the mission was to provide IT companies with a different type of distributor by providing products that we ourselves would back and support. Our purpose was buy MSP for MSP. And what that means is MSP is an acronym for Managed Service Provider. Because my prior company had been a managed services company, the fact that I was now distributing products to other managed service providers, having the background of being a managed service provider, brought a very unique perspective to the way that we ran the company. And those two statements, the buy MSP, for MSP, and the mission of delivering curated products that we would back to the companies that we were providing them to, really kept gnawing at me. So I went to the board, I explained that, we went over the statements, and again, the consensus was these are unverified, there's no evidence. So then I went back to the actual company themselves and I raised the concern and said, I've heard this rumor. I'd like you just to dispel it for me. I didn't have a lot of confidence that they wouldn't lie to me, but I wanted to ask the question and they refused to answer it. They wrote back and said, we are not participating in a conversation around this topic. To me, that was a huge red flag. And I went back to the board and I said, I have some concerns. I'd like your permission to do an investigation. I want to devote some resources to looking into this. So I did. And not only did I find that there was a lot of validity to the claim, in fact, it was almost exactly true. I found the data company that the antivirus company had purchased, and that company was making a ton of money, but was spending very little. And their profit was enormous. And I found this out because they were being traded on a stock market. And so a lot of their financials were public. And I figured out that what was happening was the one company was getting the data, basically giving it to the other company at very, very little cost. And then that company was selling it at an enormous profit. And the ownership, the stock was owned by a lot of the same people. I also found out that the company was competing against us illegally against our own contract. So they had started reselling the product to companies in the US, even though we had an exclusive right to do so and had paid a lot of money for the right to do so. I brought this back to the board convinced the board would tell me, oh, you absolutely have to fire them. And the board's response was, we need to continue with the path. And that was the crisis moment for me, where my mission and my purpose were not in alignment with my board and with the direction that was being recommended. And I had to make the decision to disagree with my board, took a lot of advocacy, a lot of argument, a lot of healthy, strong, good debate but I convinced my board that we were going to terminate the relationship because of the mission and purpose and how it was being invalidated. We made the decision to do so, and we moved all of our business to another antivirus company that was a competitor to the company that we were previously uh, distributing. Uh, The original company found out was very angry, irrationally angry, and took it upon themselves to end our company. They filed 18 different lawsuits in three different states and one foreign country, knowing that the legal expenses was far in excess of anything that we could possibly afford. and Doing my due diligence, I got a legal opinion. I was told we would win the case. I was told we could probably even then sue for a frivolous lawsuit and predatory lawsuit and probably recoup our legal costs and even potentially recoup additional revenue. However, it was going to cost at least half a million dollars to do so. And at that time, we did not have a half a million dollars to do. And I was not going to be able to go out and raise a half a million dollars simply to spend on legal expenses. And so on my 30th birthday, I sat down with my board of directors and explained to them that we needed to file for bankruptcy, that the company had to shut down, we had to liquidate everything, and then we had to lay off all of our staff, made for not a great 30th birthday. And then the following day, or two days later, it was Christmas Eve, and I had to sit down with our entire staff and explain to them that they were all losing their jobs. One of my staff members wasn't there because he was in the hospital having his first baby. And I had to call him at the hospital and explain to him he didn't have a job. It was one of the hardest weeks of my life. Painful, expensive, just terrible. But despite that, I actually felt good about everything that I had to do because I knew deep down it was right. And I knew that I had done the right thing. And that I had lived the mission and purpose and values that we had established. And I knew that if I hadn't done it and if I'd continued to turn a blind eye, I might have been financially successful and maybe the company would have lasted, maybe it would have continued to grow, but it would have been for the wrong reasons. And that was just a very personal choice that I had to make. But it was one that was not that hard to make because I had clarity around what my vision and purpose was in that particular business. And was able to use that to make a very difficult decision relatively easily despite how painful and hard and awkward it was.
1: I had about 100 questions for Delcy after hearing that story. It's so good. But the most fun thing that we talked about was all the great things that he's done in the years since this happened that he never would have had time for if he had continued to run that business, especially in a way that he didn't feel proud of or good about. So after all that craziness, Delcy goes back to Paragus, focuses on building a great culture and growing that business again. He started a nonprofit organization to help train IT workers in Western Massachusetts. And since Delcy's done so much thinking about the importance of mission and vision and purpose, I asked him to define those things and help us understand what they are and how they work.
0: I refer to them all the time as the four pillars, mission, vision, values, and purpose. When a company is starting out, especially when there's co-founders involved, financial partners, stakeholders that are greater than just an employee, but even at an employee level, it just becomes so critical to be incredibly deliberate and intentional about your mission, vision, values, and purpose. And I'll define those just really briefly. Especially mission can have a lot of meanings to a lot of different people. For me, the mission is, what are you doing and for whom? So it describes the business that you're building and who are the people that you're building it for and talks about how you're delivering that product, good or service to that market, to those customers that you're delivering it for. And it's amazing how even something as simple as that, when you sit down to write it, can create a lot of clarity around disconnects between who maybe we think the addressable market is or just how far we're going to go with the expansion of our products and services or how we're going to deliver those products and services to that market. So for me, that's mission. Then purpose is, why are we doing this? There's a million reasons in the world to start a business, to run a business, to bring a product or service to market. And it's really important that you know the why behind the actions you're doing. There are some businesses that exist purely just to make as much money as humanly possible. And if that's the case, that's fine. But it's really important that everybody who's involved be incredibly transparent and upfront about that from the very, very beginning. Most times though, I find that there is some passion, some purpose behind the business that isn't just about financial gain and getting clarity and definition about why are we doing this? What is the thing that drives us, that excites us? What fuels us? What gives us energy? For me at my current company, we love making IT fun. And our purpose is to make IT fun. We love having fun with it. We love making jokes. We love doing things in unusual, surprising ways. We love helping our customers learn technology, not just use it. Uh, We're all about trying to make the experience of leveraging technology and business fun. Then you have values. Values are your non-negotiable qualities that every single member of your company is going to follow. That's your employees, that's your leadership, that's your co-founders, that's your board of directors. Sometimes it's even your investors. And it's just being very clear about at the end of the day, what are the characteristics or action statements or qualities that define our culture? And I think what often gets confused with values is they use generic things like integrity and respect and hard work. And those words don't have any meaning simply because they're cliche and simply because probably every business would say them. When you're going after your values, you're really trying to define what's unique about your culture that is different than other companies that really speaks to it. And so, for example, for us, it's all about asking questions, being humble, fostering fun, getting better, and giving back. And those are the five core values in my current company that we just believe are what makes our staff and our culture unique. And when we're hiring, they're ingrained in our first-run interview questions We actually share our values with prospective employees and ask them to comment on them. We analyze them throughout the rest of our onboarding process. We, once a quarter, check in on them. We have celebrations to reward and recognize people living our values. They just are a significant part of our culture, and they're kind of the thing that we define our employees by. And then finally, you have your vision. Uh, the way I like to think about vision is picking a very specific point in time and deciding this is where we want to be at that point in time. And sometimes that point in time is literally a calendar point in time. So it could be in 10 years, we want this to be true. And then sometimes it's more about a quantitative point in time. We want to get to 1,000 customers or we want to get to 50% of the addressable market. It's about having something that is a big, hairy, audacious goal that is still obtainable, but it's exciting enough to fuel you and to help you see the bigger picture so that you don't just get stuck in the weeds in the day-to-day.
1: All right, here's one more part from Delcy. He's going to break down exactly a step-by-step process for how to do this inside of a startup.
0: I think it's a lot, in some ways, more fun and easier to create these things. When you have a much smaller company, the bigger the company, and especially the longer you didn't have them, the harder it's going to be to get consensus because you didn't have a consensus. And so your odds of doing it once you're 50 people, 100 people, the chances of everybody having the same values is very small and it becomes a very difficult task, which is why it's actually so important to do it early on in the process. In terms of the how you go about doing it, you get the people that matter in the room. And so you really ask yourself who are the people who are critical to the success of this company. That might be every single one of your employees. It might be 75% of your employees. It might be your financial investor. It might be your, obviously, if you have a co-founder, it's definitely your co-founder. It's the people who are critical to the success of the business. And I'll tell you, it's about getting those people outside of work to sit down and have a conversation. It isn't any more complicated than that. I can tell you that in the companies that I've run, it's been a pizza and a beer after hours, it's somebody's house sitting on a couch in a living room. It hasn't been some big expensive retreat. It hasn't been hiring a facilitator. It hasn't been months and months of prep. It's about getting the right people in a room and having the right conversation removed from the distractions of work and ideally in a casual environment that feels a little bit different. And certainly pizza and beer never helped, never hurt. It's a great way to just kind of bring people together and set the tone for the conversation. With mission, we always start off with just asking the questions. What are we doing? Who are we doing it for? And how do we want to be known for delivering that? We try to just get the answers and stream it together as a sentence or two. And oftentimes, if we have good alignment, we can do that. And the smaller the group, the easier it is to do that. With values, the exercise I've always used is you ask yourself, What unique qualities do we want to look for in an employee? And one cool exercise you can do is if you have a few employees, think about your very best employee and think about what makes them your very best employee. Think about what makes you love that person. Then think about the employee you could maybe do without or that you're not as thrilled about or maybe somebody you had to let go or get rid of because it wasn't a good fit. What was it about that employee that made it not a good fit? Sometimes just simply doing that exercise alone, you can start to very quickly think about the words that really define what you value. And then you can start to put it together. And and all the values work I've ever done, you start off with a list of 20 or 30 of just words, you know, integrity or generosity or continuous improvement. And then you have to try to refine that down to three to five things. Because I have found, and I've learned this the hard way, five is the max, three is great. And then you have to kind of just formalize them and wordsmith them. And that part, you don't need a whole group of people for. You just kind of make them sound cool. And then once you've got the feeling right, yes, we put them up on the walls, we put them on mouse pads, we put them on the screensaver of people's computers, we integrated them in our interview process, we put them everywhere that we could so that they weren't just something that lived on a lobby or lived in a Word document that we talked about once at a retreat, but never did anything with. And I think that is a common fallacy with values, is they don't actually get ingrained into the business. And it is the CEO or the president or the co-founder's obligation to do that ingraining. You can't delegate that. You can't outsource that. Even if you had a chief people officer, it is still the CEO's job to drive the values of the organization. Nobody will do it better. And if he or she is not the one driving it, it won't have the same credibility as if they are. So we use our values. You know, in an hourly basis, we're referencing them, we're talking about them, we're using it as a way to recognize performance. It's just got to be something that you're constantly using, and if you want it to have meaning or value, otherwise, don't bother doing it because having values that you're not going to leverage for the benefit that they create, there's no point in even having them at that point. Um, And it's the same with mission, vision, or purpose. If we're not going to use them, if we're not going to leverage them, if we're not going to integrate them into our culture on on a daily basis, then they probably don't have much value or use to us.
1: Thank you for helping me see the importance of mission, vision, values, and purpose for startups. We started making this podcast to share stories that illustrate the lessons from a course we teach at the University of Michigan. I teach that course with Mike McFall, founder of Bigby Coffee. We're getting amp to teach our course in a hybrid fashion this semester. And that's gonna give us a chance to start putting a little bit more of our class content online. So you can find that in two places. One is findingyourventure.com and the other one is the finding your venture linkedin group it looks like a closed group but we let pretty much everybody in and that's a great place to not only see some of the class videos but also just have a little bit more discussion around it so hope to see you there